You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. The reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to chapter 4, verse 19. And it's on page 1219 in the Church Bible. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil on their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism, that now saves you also. Not the the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand and with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body. But live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 
But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved... What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Brill, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we uh, come before your, your throne of grace again this morning. And we thank you that we can do that because of Jesus. Uh, we thank you that when the Father looks upon us, he sees Jesus, and we have been given his righteousness. And Lord, I pray that we would just uh, understand that, that our hearts would be warmed in that this morning, and that our, our hearts would be filled with joy. We can come before you, our God, and we can talk to you, and we can be honest with where we're at and what we're going through and our struggles. And we thank you, Lord, that we do that all within the framework of you as our loving Father a loving Father who is good and a loving Father that is gracious and kind towards his children. And so we come before you now and we pray, Holy Spirit, help us to understand your word, that God may be honoured and our lives may become more and more like Jesus, your son. And it's in his name that we ask. Amen. Amen. So uh, here we are. We come to, uh, to, again, this great topic of suffering. And um, you, you remember it wasn't that long ago that we were looking at this in James, in the letter from James. And what we're seeing here is not competing sort of arguments. Uh, they are arriving in, at the same destination, but we're seeing it from a slightly different perspective and through a different lens coming from the Apostle Peter and not James this time. But it's good uh, that we keep going through and bringing up this topic of suffering. Uh, you know, one of my roles and one of my jobs, and indeed one of the jobs of the leadership here, is uh, to prepare the church to walk in holiness, to pursue holiness before the Lord, to become like Jesus. But also one of our great tasks is to prepare prepare the flock and to prepare uh, you, our people, the people of this church, for, to suffer well when it comes. You know, one of the dangers that we find in today's sort of um, uh, narrative, Christian narrative, is we exclude these parts, uh, the, the, the difficult parts where it talks about suffering and it talks about pain and it talks about brokenness that we see so evidently in the relationships all around us. You know, that, to do that is just, just bury your head in the, in the sand, right? We know and you know from your own lives and in your own relationships that people suffer and people go through great trials and people go through great sadness and things just don't work out and sometimes life stinks and sometimes life is painful. And you can see that. You can see it in the news. You can see that in your own lives. You may have experienced that for yourself. Life is full of suffering and we don't need to be a Christian either to realise that. So, for example, listen to uh, the famous and dead um, German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who said, who once claimed, by the way, that God is dead, who said, to live is to suffer. Okay, he said, to live means you will suffer. And he said, to survive is to find some meaning in the suffering. So he's, he painted a very bleak picture of life. And he had not very fond words to speak of God. He was a famous atheist, okay, but he spoke and said that God is dead and we will all suffer. And he painted this very dark, very bleak picture of life. But suffering is something that has not been avoided by God's people, but we have sought to find meaning in it and understand what the word of God says to us in it. So, for example, look to C.S. Lewis, another famous person who spoke um, a great deal. And if you've not uh, looked on his books regarding uh, suffering, I would encourage you to do so, particularly the problem of pain, where this uh, quote is from. He said, suffering is not good in itself. Okay, so we're not glorifying suffering. In some parts 
of Judaism, for example, you will see that they go out of their way to, to suffer. They, they bind themselves up. And, and again, in, in church history, you'll see uh, where saints have interpreted this wrong and have actually uh, put suffering upon themselves willfully. But C.S. Lewis is saying here, suffering is not a good thing in itself. We're not glorifying suffering. Neither are we hiding from it. What is good in any painful experience is for the sufferer his submission to the will of God. So he's saying suffering is not good, but what is good is that in it you submit yourself to the Lord as the sovereign one and also for the spectators the compassion amongst God's people that is around, around and the acts of mercy that leads them to help those that are suffering within the household of God. So, so a couple of things C.S. Lewis is saying. It's good that we submit to the will of God and it's also good that in the covenant community of believers people come around those that are suffering and again model Christ in the family of God. Now, as we go through the Gospels, we know, and indeed through the New Testament, we see that Jesus himself suffered. We are called to follow Jesus, and so by virtue of that fact, following Jesus and the road marked with suffering that he endured, we likewise can expect to suffer. The Bible says that he was a man acquainted with grief. He was a man of sorrows. He was a man that even experienced death. And as we come to this point uh, in, the, in the calendar year where we look towards Christmas very shortly and we begin that time of Advent, we are looking at Jesus and we are looking at the prophecies and we are looking at the man the Messiah would be. We're looking at the life he lived. And one of the things we see is that Jesus suffered for his people. Jesus was ridiculed. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was let down even by his friends. Jesus was told he, he had a devil in him. And Jesus was crucified. Jesus was a man of sorrows. Jesus was a man that suffered. Again, follow that thread throughout the New Testament and into early church history. And you will see that not only did the apostles suffer, and many of them, all but one, die horrendous deaths, Dragged to death, speared to death, stoned to death, clubbed to death, crucified. You will see that throughout the early church that many of God's people have suffered. Some of the great Christian giants of the faith had suffered. And it is said, and I'm just trying to say this off the, the back of my head, that the, the church is built on the blood of the saints. Not the wealth and not the prosperity, but the blood or words to that effect. God's people Christ, the apostles, the early church have all lived this life and modelled this life of suffering for the name of Jesus. And it goes without saying then, doesn't it, that we too will suffer. And we looked at this in James. We realised that we will suffer by virtue again of the fact that we live in a broken world. So go and cast your minds back to Genesis 3. We know what went wrong. I don't need to preach to the converted. We know what happened. We know what happened when uh, Eve and Adam partook of the fruit. We know that the, the curse that came upon the world. And we, we know that we therefore live in this broken, fallen, sinful world. And not just that we live in it, but that we have been born into it and we have inherited it. That's why Jesus speaks of it, or it's spoken of in Romans, as being the curse of Adam. We are born into this curse. But those who have been saved have now been born again into grace, into Jesus, the second Adam. So we know that we have been born into this curse. We know that that's the reason we see so much brokenness and violence and sadness in this world, because we are in a sinful, broken, fragmented world. And we will therefore suffer because we are not exempt from it. And again, maybe some of your stories of coming to faith has been that you were sold some sort of a, a, a wishy-washy Christian prosperity narrative where come to Jesus and your life will suddenly become perfect like a bed of roses. But we know that is not the reality, correct? Christians live in a broken world and Christians suffer. Christians' cars still break down. Christian dishwashers still break down. Okay, Christian pets still need to go to the vets. We are not exempt from the suffering that happens in this, in this world. 
Uh, Peter gives examples of what that sinful living looks like in verses of chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. And then he gives uh, a comparison, a contrast of how Christians should live in verses 7 to 11. But what I really want us to focus on here today in that long sort of uh, passage that we had read out to us from half chapter 3 and into chapter 4 is from verses 12, chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. And let me say this, choosing to follow Jesus as our chief shepherd and the example and teachings of the apostles will result in suffering. And, you know, I know you're not going to put that on a T-shirt and wear it. I know you're not going to put that on a fridge magnet and, and, you know, put it on your fridge and declare it over yourselves every day. But it is the reality and it forms such a large portion of the scriptures that following Christ means we will suffer. There's a, a picture that made me uh, think of what it's like in the Christian life. Anyone know what that is? Four state uh, meeting point. It's, it's said apparently that in this part, this unique part in America, four, uh, four parts where it consists of oh, New Mexico, New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, and Colorado. Right, where all the states meet at this sort of convergence, this one point there that you can stand and you can like twister or something, put yourself in a position where you're in all four states at one time. Okay. And it reminded me of the fact that we as Christians need to be bold and we need to be faithful to our Lord and our God in whatever state we find ourselves in as well. Does that make sense? So we aren't just Christians when things are going well and the sun is shining and it is all as it should be. But we are called to be Christians and bold and steadfast for the Lord when things are going miserable and even in our suffering, no matter what state we are in. So, moving on. Now, um, I've given the game away, okay? The plot has been foiled. It's all come up for you here on the screen. It's not a very uh, good PowerPoint for you here, in that uh, all the answers are up on the screen for you. So don't switch off, okay? No nodding dogs. Uh, It reminds me a little bit of, um, of when I took my driving test. I can remember that they sat us down in this corrugated sort of uh, tin shack. Okay, this is back uh, in the army. And, they, and we were getting ready to take our driving test that following week. But before we did that, we had to take our, um, our what do you call it, our theory. And they sat us down. And on our desks, on these pieces of paper, were all the answers already written in that, in that sheet for you. Or if you had trouble still, they would tell you what the answers were. And you'd write them down. In that, uh, in that theory. And my driving test was literally about 20 minutes going round and round about and coming back, and they were like, pass, that will do. Okay, so it's a little bit like that, except for a lot better. Okay, the answers are there for you now, but don't switch off. Uh, they're there for us to, to walk through this morning. So, what I want you to do now is to think of the times where you have or are suffering most look back to a time where hanging on to your faith has been the hardest that could be you know many years ago that could have been in the last couple of years that could be even here today a point in your life where you're just really suffering where you're really struggling in your faith and you've got these great questions for God why am I going through this Again, for some of us here today, uh, that's right now. That's the here and now, the present. For some of us listening online, that's also you. Uh, But if that's not, if you're not suffering, if you're not going through those trials, don't dismiss it just because you're not. If you are going through good times, praise God. But remember, there is always someone worse off, right? There's always someone receiving the news you've just got over. And so go back to C.S. Lewis's quote where you've gone through that for a reason, to come alongside someone and to encourage them and help them in their faith. But think back to a time where you have been, where you have suffered immensely or you are suffering maybe today or you're going through something today. How have you responded to God? How did you respond to God in that suffering? What we will see from our passage today from Peter, from verse 12 onwards, is how the believer is called to respond. So I'm going to read that part from verse 12 onwards again. It says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, 
as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So, one of the first things uh, we see, or sorry, is that, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So Peter here, he's writing to believers that in fiery ordeals or trials or difficult circumstances. Now, he doesn't say what kind they are going through, but we can gather from the whole letter that they were being maligned and even persecuted, even attacked for their faith in Jesus Christ. Did you know it is said today that Christians are the most persecuted people around the world? Christians are the most persecuted people around the world. So, for example, around the world, according to Open Doors, they say 5,898 Christians were killed for their faith last year. That's nearly 6,000 Christians were killed for their faith last year. And out of that 5,898, did you know that 4,650 of of those killings happened in Nigeria? Yet again, more believers are murdered for following Jesus in Nigeria than the rest of the world combined. During that same period of time throughout the world, 5,100 churches were attacked attacked for their faith in Jesus. In the past year, more than 5,000 churches and church buildings were bombed, attacked, destroyed, looted, burned down or forcibly closed to try and stop people meeting together to worship our Lord. It is said that at least 360 million Christians around the world experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. 360 million of our brothers and sisters around the world. This should cause us to pray, shouldn't it? For our brothers and sisters, as we have been told to. That's an astonishing, by the way, one in seven of the global population suffering for Jesus. Christians are a persecuted people. The people that Peter is writing to here were a persecuted people. They were in fiery trials, and to them, Peter gives instruction on how you should respond in the midst of this suffering. And the first thing he has to say here is to do with having the right perspective. It's to do with having the right perspective. Do you see it, verse 12? And again, you can look at the screen if you can see it, if you've got 2020, and you can follow with me. Having the right perspective matters. They were in fiery trials, and Peter is telling them how to respond. And so having the right perspective in how to go about facing them is important. So in my experience of pastoring, the usual response of the believer in the face of fiery trials is usually one of two ways. One, we doubt God's love. We say, why is this happening to me? Where is God? I'm supposed to be a believer. Why are all these things taking place? And we doubt the love of God for us. And then secondly, the other thing I see is we begin asking the question, why is this happening to me, right? Can we all resonate with those two points? Does God love me? Why is this happening to me? This is not fair. That is the usual responses that you will see. And so it should be deeply encouraging to us to note that Peter immediately addresses both. Do you see it? And by doing so, he offers the believer the right perspective to face the fiery trial. So firstly, having the right perspective means seeing how God views us. Do you see from verse 12? How does God see us? Someone shout it out. What does he call us? He calls us our friends. He calls us our children. In the NIV, it translates as friends. But a better translation is beloved or loved ones. So some of you with different translations here this morning will see it. Having the right perspective when you're going through trials means understanding what God says of you. And God says to you in the midst of your trials, you are loved by me. You are my beloved Isn't that encouraging to know that? Isn't that wonderful that Peter's put that into some of our biggest doubts in the face of trials? Am I loved by God? Peter says, yes, you are. You are loved by God. 
because it's one of the hardest things we can struggle with when we're going through times of great difficulties to know we are loved by God. Believer in Christ, never doubt it. Never doubt it. Jesus came to, uh, to die and to show his elect that he loves them. He loves you this morning. Psalm 36, 7 says, How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. How priceless is your unfailing love. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. Bank that one, church. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that a wonderful uh, picture to know of God? He not only loves you, not only fights for you as a mighty warrior, but he sings over you. He's singing over you. Can you even imagine what that's like? God singing songs over you. First John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on you. It's this uh, uh, picture, imagery of overflowing, literally like what David was talking about, about my cup overfloweth. Imagine a cup that's just flowing over and over and over because this cup cannot contain it. That's the same sort of imagery, if you like, of God lavishing this love on you. It's more than you can, than you can take. It just keeps pouring out upon you. See with what great love the Father has lavished on you that you should be called enemies of God acquaintances of God, members of God, you're right, children of God. And that is what you are, children of God. And he loves you. Perspective, knowing in this trial that God loves me and nothing can break that bond or that cord of love. Knowing everything you are and everything you have done and everything you are doing and everything that will go, go wrong, he still comes for you, our saviour. He comes and he dies because he loves you and nothing can break that love. There's no ebb and flow. There's no, for the, the parents amongst us, no performance chart with stars for good behaviour. It's always at 100%. How are you coping and, and failing or failing in your trial right now? How you're performing does not dampen his great love for you. Maxed out all the time. So his love for you. Secondly, having the right perspective comes when you understand that, as we've said, that Christians aren't exempt from suffering. So we might say, oh, why am I going through this? Why is this happening to me? I don't understand. We should not act surprised we should not say why me i've been so faithful i've been good i've attended a growth group i've gone to every prayer meeting i've listened to all those countless hours of that vicar of that pastor preaching and preaching and preaching i've given to good causes i've given to whatever save the narwhal foundation whatever it is okay i've been a good person why is this happening to me we shouldn't be surprised says peter Arsenal being top of the league is a surprise. <laughs> Christians going through hard times is not. The government looking after, saying they're going to look after their pensioners, which is a really good thing, in their autumn statement is a, good, is a surprise to me. Christians going through fiery trials is not. England winning the World Cup would be a surprise. <laughs> Christians going through suffering should not be a surprise. Jesus said in Matthew 10:22, "You will be listen, I'm not making it up." Jesus said in Matthew 10:22, "You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved." In John 16:33, he says, "In this world you will have trouble." Jesus said it. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And in James 1.12, it says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the what? The crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So the Bible is full of of commands and the calling to persevere in suffering. So back to the question. 
How are we as Christians to respond to suffering? We need to ask the Holy Spirit in our prayers and through supporting one another to give us perspective. Perspective that tells us you are both loved and to go through trials and persecutions is no surprise for the believer. And the other thing that I want to draw your attention to this morning is in our suffering and from this passage, do you notice that the Godhead is at work in our lives, even through suffering? So take the moment to look through that, through verses 12 to 19. Do you see uh, Father, Son and Holy Spirit in this passage? So again, if you've jumped ahead, because I've got the answers up on here, you'll see Jesus in verses 13 to 14. You'll see the Holy Spirit, verses 14 to 15. And you'll see God throughout, but you'll see him particularly in verses 16 and 17. So let's look at some of those now. Jesus, very quickly. So Jesus is the first point. So firstly, seeing Jesus in our suffering helps us to do what? Let me read. 13, 13, but rejoice, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So you are blessed, you are filled with joy. We know following the path of Jesus means we will suffer. We know that there will be times increasingly in the age that we live in, uh, even for us in the West, not just looking at Christian brothers and sisters around the world losing their lives for the gospel, but we know even now in our workplace, in our schools, amongst our families, that we will suffer for saying we follow Jesus, right? And that's a very real point for some of you here today. You're suffering even in your families, even in your workplace, even in your schools or universities, for the name of Jesus. And instead of how unbelievers behave, i.e. resentment towards suffering, it says here from the text that we are called to rejoice in it. So chapter 4, verse 14, when believers are suffering for their faith, i.e. what uh, James spoke, uh, sorry, what Jesus spoke about, Sermon on the Mount, he says, when you are insulted, when you are mocked, or when you are slandered for the name of Christ, we should embrace it joyfully. And there will come times, as we live in these end days, when our faith will be challenged more and more, so you're seeing that, So your faith will be challenged on your views, for example, on traditional marriage. And we believe, uh, as a church, that a marriage is ordained as one biological man and one biological female, woman. And isn't it a state of the times that we have to even include those words? But we believe that and we uphold that and we say that is God's best and that is the foundation and the building blocks of our society. But there are many in our culture and our age around us that will disagree with that. And our faith will be challenged and the, and the, and the, the, uh, the temptation will be to compromise on that. We'll see that in what are your views about same-sex marriage. You'll see that in our views about being pro-life or pro-choice. Or pro-choice. And again, to reiterate, we are in a church where we are pro-life. We believe, or I certainly believe, that, uh, that life begins at conception. That what the Bible says, so for example, Psalm 139, that this has happened because of God and this is ordained by God and God is watching over this. And life is happening in the womb and it is precious and it needs to be protected. But again, in the age that we live in, the temptation will be to say, no, it's not. So your faith will be challenged in the workplace, amongst your friends and amongst your family. But know this, Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. And that means that sometimes there will be division in those places that you hold dear for standing for Christ. Following Jesus isn't always easy. You will suffer for his name's sake. But the beautiful thing is, is that by doing that, You are sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. And as Jesus suffered and died and rose again to life and inherited that crown, so we too will inherit that crown if we are faithful in following him. 
But let's be honest, flipping heck, it's hard, isn't it? Finding joy in our suffering, it's hard. But in the text, we can find it, joy by looking to Jesus, who, like us, suffered. And it also leads us on to our next point, by looking to the Holy Spirit. So as we follow Christ, we know we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, who we see in verses 14 and 15. When believers, it says, are suffering for their, for their faith... Okay, it says what? Verse 14. The Spirit. That's right, Spirit. Notice the capital S. The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. When you're going for it, when you're standing for Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to you and rests on you. And this is maybe a reference to Isaiah. Chapter 11, 2, speaking of the promised Messiah, where it said the spirit of the Lord will rest on him and he will be given a spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and strength and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he's saying as it rested on the Holy Spirit, rested on the Messiah, the promised one. So he will rest on his people who stand firm for their faith. What Peter is saying here is that in your suffering for Jesus, if you endure it, if you embrace it, not because it's nice, not because you're a sadomasochist, but because in it you understand that you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ, you will either experience a supernatural power of the Spirit... Or the presence of the Spirit will come and bring you a foretaste of the future glory. So we see that biblically. Let's back that up. The Holy Spirit will either come to you and you will experience his supernatural power. Or he will be able to point you beyond that to that eschatological glory that awaits you. Yeah. So a couple of examples. Think, for example, of Peter and John in prison. Uh, Sorry, or before the Sanhedrin. They are told to stop talking about Jesus. And what did they do? They carry on talking about Jesus. They were willing to pay the cost. They knew what the suffering would be, but they did it. And they were beaten. They were beaten with rods. And they left. And what does it say? That they went and, re- and retreated back to their caves, back to their homes, sad and depressed. No, it says that they returned joyfully, singing songs that they were counted worthy to bear the name, to suffer for the name of Jesus. And then look at Paul and Silas in prison. Okay, and they're in stock. Imagine being in stocks around your feet on the floor and then around your hands, being in that in a prison, in that great pain and suffering. And what does it say they were doing? Singing songs of praise, singing psalms, counting it all joy that they could suffer for the name of Jesus. So we see the Holy Spirit comes to them empowers them, boldens them to see it as sharing in the sufferings of Christ and proclaiming his name. And then if you want to, uh, to look for an example about uh, going beyond our suffering and looking forward to the glory that awaits, you need to look no further than the first uh, martyr of our faith who was... It's not trick questions. Stephen. Stephen, that's right. It was Stephen who, when he's down... Before the people are about to stone him to death, he sees the picture, doesn't he? The Holy Spirit enables him to see as the heavens open and he sees Christ. So we know that in our suffering, the Holy Spirit comes to us, strengthens us to stand firm for Christ, as we do with boldness. But also, um, he helps us to see beyond that to Christ in his risen, glorified state. How do you react in your suffering? Do you count it all joy? Do you rejoice that we are counted worthy to share in the sufferings of of Jesus? I know this isn't easy. But remember, uh, again, as uh, as C.S. Lewis says here, we were promised sufferings. They were part of the program. We're even told, blessed are they that mourn, and I accept it. I've got nothing that I had not bargained for. Of course, it is different when the things happen to me and not to others. And in, when it's in reality and not in the imagination, but we should expect these things, says C.S. Lewis. Jesus said it would be. And praise be to God. He said, it's better that I go because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who will comfort you when it comes. 
The Holy Spirit will help us. The Holy Spirit will empower us. And as he does, he fills us. He gives us perspective. He shows us Christ. He also shows us that the God who has called us and allowed us to go through these trials is the God that loves us. So we see the Holy, we see Jesus at work. We see the Holy Spirit at work. And now we see God at work. Because undergirding all of this suffering, we know as we looked at James, is the God who is working it out ultimately for his glory first and foremost but also for the good of his people never lose sight of that in this trial that james says is testing you okay in this trial god is being glorified lord be glorified in my in my struggles and also he's working for good as a loving father for his children he's doing that this is a work of sanctification. This is what he's doing in your life. He's working it out for, your, for his glory and for your good. Did you know that the word, if you flick to verse 12, do not be surprised as the fiery ordeal that has come on you, this word come or come in to you, um, verse 12, means for something to work together, not with chaos. It's not just random happening to you, coming to you without a plan. But the word used here, the original Greek, means to come together with a plan. So this trial, that, this fiery trial that has come on you, the original word is speaking, it's come on you, but it's come to you with a plan and with a purpose. That's what it's saying. It's come together with a plan, with a design and with a purpose. So whereas Frederick Nietzsche might say, God is dead and there is no design in this pain and suffering, good luck, off you go. My Bible says it's not caught God off guard. But rather God is allowing, has allowed his children to go through it, that he might be glorified through our response that says to a broken world, I trust in God and I will gladly follow Christ. Think of Job here when Satan comes before God and Satan has to ask for permission. This is theology here. Satan has to ask for permission to assault God's faithful servant. He says in Job 1.10, have you not placed a hedge on every side around him? Satan could not attack God's man without God allowing him to happen it, showing that it is God who is in control. So the suffering isn't outside of God's power. It's not some dualistic cosmic battle where it's God versus Satan and it's a 50-50 fight. God wins every time. Okay. Neither does uh, bad news like this catch God off guard. And we have to summon him to come and help us because he's been caught unaware. God has won the battle. He has won the campaign. He has won the war. He has won it all through Christ the suffering servant upon that cross on which he publicly puts to shame the devil and all of his cronies and all the evil powers. Puts them to shame on that cross and says victory is his. And we are now his children And we are now living in that victory. But there's still a period of time until it is fully realised. When the gospel goes to the ends of the earth and then Christ shall come. And therefore it is the Christian duty to not only go and tell and share. But to demonstrate with our bodies and with our actions including how we suffer. That this life is not it. That God is great. And God is is the sovereign creator of life. And we who are his, we go about witnessing in this way, suffering for Jesus, not for doing evil, says Peter, making trouble. He gives some good examples there. Making trouble, prying into other people's affairs. God doesn't like busybodies, which is why Peter puts it in here. But rather our aim is to live God-honoring lives. And when it comes our way, that includes suffering. So in our suffering, do we see perspective? In our suffering from the text, do we see the Godhead at work, Jesus, Spirit and the Father? And then let's close by looking at verse 19. We are called also to trust. We are called to to trust in him. So given perspective, we see the Godhead at work. And then our final point, to trust, and verse 19, to stand Firm. Let's read it. Verse 19. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do 
good. A few points here uh, where he says, uh, if anyone suffers as a Christian, uh, let him uh, not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Uh, the word in the Greek used here is, is an imperative, uh, which means it's not an option. It means it's a command. Uh, Peter is commanding us. God is commanding us in our suffering to keep trusting in him. God is saying, trust in me. And maybe that's a, a, a word for some of you here today that are, are wavering, maybe in your faith, that are suffering, that are feeling rocked and buffeted by the waves of life. His command is the command I'm giving you today to trust in God. Stand firm. Don't give up. Keep trusting in him. Second, uh, he is saying not only are we called to stand firm and to trust, that's a command, but we are called to entrust ourselves to a what? Do you see it? Verse 19. You should commit. Charles, you're helping me out at the front here. Okay, so we should commit themselves, trust the, entrust themselves to their faithful creator. Did you know that's the only time those two words go together in the New Testament? Faithful creator. It's like Peter is writing in the midst of these, this pain, this sorrow uh, that God's people are going through. And he's, he's saying to them, you need to be reminded not only that God loves you, but that he is faithful and he, he created you. And all of this world and everything in it. And that's just giving us a, a picture of a great big God there. This great big God who formed all of this wonderful universe and this earth and all of creation and put the stars in place and knows them by name. He, the creator God, is your faithful God. And you can entrust yourselves to him. Christians that walk the way of their master, the path of Jesus will suffer. I know the philosophical question is, but why? And the honest answer is, I don't have the answer for everyone's particular suffering. And I don't fully understand why. But I do know, as someone that's not been exempt from suffering himself, I've lived long enough to know uh, no suffering, some suffering, and again, not as much as many of you here today, but I do know that you can absolutely entrust yourself to God in it I know that and I believe that to be true that his thoughts really aren't ours and his ways really aren't our ways it's not a human he's God but he does know best and he is working for good if you remain steadfast and one day it's all going to be revealed to us it's all going to make sense we're going to understand what God was doing and that he really was who he said he was, faithful, our faithful creator. And so uh, here, in the, here and now, we say, I trust myself to you. Verse 19, we understand, you see it also in verse 19. Uh, so then those who suffer according to God's will, according to God's will that we suffer, that we go through these things. We know that he is sovereign. We know he is working something out beautiful for his glory and for his name. We know that we, like Job, are hedged with his protection. And Satan doesn't have permission. He doesn't have that type of power to touch me unless God allows it. And if God allows it, may I know his power to endure it and be faithful. Brothers and sisters, commit your all to him. Entrust your souls to him. Bank it all on him. The term about entrusting is a, is a banker's term. It's literally what it means. It means invest, deposit, everything down on him. Put it all back on him. Don't hold anything back. No earthly confidence. Empty it and put it all down on Jesus Christ. I trust you for it. Knowing that he is good. Knowing that he loves you. Knowing that he cares for you. Keep doing what is right. Ask the Lord for perspective, the Holy Spirit for perspective, to know you are loved and that you, like so many, are going through these trials and it is not a surprise. See the Godhead at work, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And as you do with what you're going through, trust, entrust yourself, deposit everything down on believing and trusting in God. God blesses those 
who patiently endure testing and temptation, afterward they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those that love him. Keep running, knowing that a crown of life awaits. Jesus is at the end. So I'm going to pray. Uh, Maybe we'll take the opportunity to think of something that we are going through. I want to force that upon you. If you're going through a good time, praise God for it. Rejoice and be glad. But I suspect that there are people in this room that are going or have gone through really difficult times and their faith has been rocked and they feel disconnected from God. Or I suspect there are people even here this morning that are going through it, going through the mill, going through suffering. And we need to hear these things. That God loves us, that God is faithful, and we can trust him through our suffering and through our pain. And so we're going to ask the Holy Spirit for his help in these things. Holy Spirit, we, we want to come to you now knowing that you have been given to us from the Son. And ask you for your comfort. To ask you to illuminate these words. That they wouldn't just be words of man. But the very words of God. And that they would encourage our hearts. And cause our faith to rise. Father we hear the command to stand firm. To keep running. Keep trusting. But we thank you Lord. That this is not just some abstract command. But. The one who is calling us at the end of that finish line is the one who has suffered himself. And so we ask you for your help. Lord, I pray for anyone here today that is suffering and going through those fiery trials. Lord, whether that's here in church or those that we can think of, Lord, our loved brothers and sisters from this fellowship that are going through it right now. That, Lord, you would give them perspective that you would help them to know that they are so greatly loved, that you would help them to know that this is not a strange trial and that you are at work through it. One day we shall see fully why. Lord, I pray that in uh, their suffering and their trials they would see the Father, Son and Spirit at work And that we would learn to entrust and deposit all of our faith and confidence in you through it. Oh, Holy Spirit, please, would you bless and encourage someone's heart here today. As we look to the Son. We say this in his name. Amen. stand. You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.